My name is Diana Riza. Pronouns are she, her, they. And I'm Shante Hanks. Welcome to the Diversity in Higher Education podcast. The Diversity in Higher Education podcast is recorded out of Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven, and it was developed to bridge the gap between academia and the community on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm here with our host, Dr. Diana Ariza, the university's first chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. Dr. Ariza, there is a lot going on right now in the world. How are you doing? I'm on fire. There is so much going on. I, I can't keep track. I find that The election is one thing, and I find like I have a lot of bosses these days. I never thought that (laughs) (laughs) those in in the higher-ups would be keeping me so busy with my work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And then COVID, uh, right? I just keep worried about the many students that it's now closer to Thanksgiving, and I think folk are checking out including myself, just too <laughs> many people on virtual, just a lot going on. I don't mean to laugh, but when you say you didn't realize, right, when mm-hmm. you, did, you started in July in this role, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we had that webinar in, I want to say June, Yes. right? And I knew that day that I had some ideas for you. You hadn't even started yet, so... I think sorry, but not really, because I'm happy that you're here. And to be honest with you, I'm not sorry. That's just how it goes. Uh, In higher education, things are always moving so quickly. So I'm glad that you're up for the job. Um, And I've been hearing some great things. So for me, I'm also I feel like I'm on fire as well, navigating through these turbulent times. And this season, and some say the past five years, because it has felt that long, but it really has only been the past eight months uh, since March of living with COVID and as we call the other pandemic, the social injustices that have occurred. Um, We are living in unprecedented times, but in all, I am doing really well trying to be a conductor of change during all the havoc. So with that being said, Back to all the work you're doing here uh, on campus, I want to introduce some of those students that have been helping you uh, navigate things around here and kind of shake things up, if you will. So I'm excited that they're here with us today. We have Elijah Ortiz. He's a junior sociology major at Southern. He helped initiate the Black Lives Matter rally here on campus. He's a member of Diversity Peer Educators and Athletes Fighting Injustice and he works in the Multicultural Center, and so did I. Well, I actually didn't work there because that would mean that they paid me, but I volunteered in the Multicultural Center um, with uh, Dean Aaron Washington during my time here. Hope I'm not dating myself, it was only a few years ago. So, (laughs) and we also have Jamil Harp. He is a senior communications major also at Southern. He was a panelist on our recent Racial Injustice Forum from Talk to Activism. We were on that together. It was awesome. He helped organize the Black Lives Matter March on campus and is the former president of the Southern chapter of the NAACP and member of the Black Student Union. So, Dr. Ariza, I know 
you and the students have been doing a lot on campus, so much work, many initiatives. So please tell us about the work you and these wonderful students have been doing. Well, certainly I'm not going to take away from their voice, um, but I have to say that when I arrived here, I was so surprised that for a university that wanted to become a social justice, anti-racist, anti-oppressive university, right, that, that want to be, that, that long-term goal, it was surprising to hear from students and staff and some faculty that there wasn't student activism going on on our campus, and that couldn't be. Like, you couldn't aspire to be anti-racist, uh, uh, anti-oppressive if you didn't have students leading the charge. It didn't mean that you didn't have administrators doing this work, uh, including our president, including our vice presidents, but not to have students leading this made no sense. It, it could not happen. So as I started to um, get connected with uh, students right away, and then I had the luxury, I mean luxury, the golden opportunity to meet these two individuals that checked me. They, they, they said, wait a minute. <laughs> There's more to hear than what you're hearing. I started to really get excited about the work that they're doing. Um, so I, I'm not just the forum that we did a few months ago, but then started to learn about what does it take to really think about activism led by students? What would that look like? So I want to start, if we can start there. Um, of course. Uh, if, if activism is not showing up, um, what, what in your world, what does it look like? What would it look like? Or what has it looked like in your, in your, you being here at, at Southern, junior, your junior, senior, what, what does that look like or what has that looked like for both of you? With activism here on campus, I've noticed that like students don't really know or realize how much power they have on campus within just changing here on campus. They don't have like maybe the, the push to, to really know like, hey, you can change stuff here, right here, right now. And I definitely didn't have that, I didn't realize that until the end of my sophomore year. And that's when I really started to try to get involved on campus. So that's something that we really have to like make sure people, students here on campus know that their voices can make change within our campus. And if we, if we work on teaching these students how to be activists, where to be activists, and what to do, then we can make some real changes here. Hello, Hello everyone. Yeah. yeah, so I'm mm -hmm. Jamil. For those that are listening to know who Voice is speaking, when I think about student activism, I think about a small group of us who are fighting for education in all aspects in every room we enter. We are thinking about the voices that are unheard, that do not necessarily have the power to speak or the privilege to speak. So for me, I know there's many of us and there's, a, there's generations of students like me that enter rooms to make them more positive than before they entered. So when I think about student activism, I think about it as a critical role of pushing higher education forward, pushing a university forward. And administration support is important, but without student activism, the promises of our mission statement will never be fulfilled. Right? You need that kind of push, that effort there. But if our university wants more students to be engaged in this work, then they have to 
create an atmosphere and environment that allows students to engage and to have the privilege and opportunity of entering realms. They have to be accessible to everyone. Um, so that's why I think when you're looking at our campus, people go, oh, you don't have student activism. It's because students are working two or three jobs. Students are raising their siblings. Students have their own barriers to their education. I have my own barriers to education. And so in order to be a student activist, a lot of times you have to overcome those barriers and overcome your own anxiety to really show up and show out. Ooh. So to, to, sh to show out, uh, you know, I, I think about my time as a student activist, and I have to say, it, it doesn't look the same, doesn't feel the same, especially in my time as an undergraduate and what we're seeing today, this, this incredible strength coming from activists across the country. So I'm, I'm curious um, from your lens, as, you know, and you, make, you each make very good points, is when was that wake-up call? You know, some of you got it, Emil, I think you had it <laughs> as a very young boy from the experiences you've shared with me. You know, for others, it takes a little longer to understand what, what does that look like. What, in, in, from your friends, where are you, how are you seeing activism play out? You know, what, what are they doing on their campuses that looks very similar to what we're doing here? Because a lot of good stuff is happening here, too. But what, what is happening? What do, you, what do you see? What are they sharing with you that looks, so, that looks similar to what you're experiencing? What are they saying? Or what, or what may not look similar? That looks like what's happening with Southern and we're not catching up. Well, I know here at Southern, I always kept a very solid friend group. And within my friend group, I have watched, especially my black friends, start achieving positions that people of color just weren't in, entering rooms in which people of color were not in, especially black folks. And so I know for me, my friend circle is all about, you know, infiltrating spaces and becoming a part of that dialogue there. You know, I think about my RAs. I had two black RAs who became RAs of the year and they were putting on black programs. And so that was some of the first times I started seeing on this campus from my lens as a freshman, sophomore, um, campuses that were large, that were impactful and that were you know, anti-racist that engaged in that kind of dialogue. And when you're, you're in a friend circle where everyone has the same kind of mission and goal, right? You know, you're all first generation. You're all from the inner city. I'm from Bridgeport. A lot of my friends are from Bridgeport, Hartford, Waterbury. You know, a lot of us have very similar stories, you know, come from communities filled with violence, you know, overcoming all these barriers together as a friend group. Then when you get together and you hang out, you start talking about ways in which you can make your own life better, but the life of those around you. And so I think that message carries on in our social circles. And I'm sure it's happening at other universities. This is not something that is Southern unique. Black students are fighting for their lives, not only in reality and on the streets, but in the classroom as well. Thank you, Jamil. Elijah, any thoughts? Yeah, I... I agree with that um with my social circle of my friends we all come in and we bring different intersections different um different stories different um experiences and we all come together and we talk about these social issues and that's kind of how we we kind of started getting in here and um doing this student activism um my friend group we just we started being friends last year and now we're really involved in we're, we're working in the Multicultural Center. We're DPEs. We're trying to um, make a change within the campus. And activism has changed a lot, especially over 
this past year where it it is really um social media a lot of that activism and that well that can be messy yeah <laughs> it can be a little messy um we see a lot of things like perform performative activism because it is it's social media you're putting it out to everyone and it's it is very different now with activism um especially after with covid and stuff so it's it's different now you keep saying different and i think i would agree with you that it's different and it can be so empowering when you can put whether it's music sharing or demonstrating and and being able to share that so quickly the news just carries so much more energy but what happens when it goes wrong and what i've noticed on campus and help me with this you know you who do social media 24 7 or maybe not as much these days but i know that for me catching up uh with social media you know i always have to be like what's up you know (laughs) i feel like i'm always behind um but when it goes wrong, how do you find a way to, to correct the wrong when information, we were just talking about this at our previous podcast, Shantae and I were talking about how when information is wrong and folk make it up, how do you, how are, what are ways of correcting that when, when teams get on social media and say, I come from a racist team. How, how, do you, how do you make up for the damage that's done? I don't know. Anybody want to take that on? Because there's, like you said, a lot of good comes from it, but then a lot of not so good, problematic. I think there's two parts to that. And it's really on outlook. So there's, we have things on social media that may be blatantly untrue. You know, maybe someone makes a comment and that comment is just not true, like statistically speaking, you know, if someone's speaking on facts, right? So that within itself is problematic and you can address that in the classroom, which, you know, understanding how to check sources and understanding how to read media bias and things of that nature. When we're talking about, let's say, for instance, the Black Eye, the Black Eye Southern page, right? Where we have students that are coming forward with stories anonymously, Um, And sometimes that may seem problematic on, you know, Instagram. However, I think it's an important conversation for our universities to start having, and it's bringing those stories to the university in ways in which clearly it's not. Maybe there should be a place on campus where you can report hate crimes or you can report those experiences. But because there is not, now this Instagram page has surfaced. So maybe it should be a call of action to the university, not necessarily um, something to fix PR-wise, a PR battle. You know, it's students that are, I have mixed views on the page myself, but I think it's students trying to find a voice from themselves when they feel voiceless. I'm curious about that page as well. Um, Is it accessible by uh, external folks, meaning administration, faculty, or is it just for the students? Well, I suppose, I think when you go on the Instagram, you can upload like something through Google Docs or Forms. There's some type of way of doing it mm. where it's anonymous. So I suppose anybody could really submit a story. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Check it out. <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of changes occurring on the student affairs side, right? And the genesis is almost always within Res Life. But I'm curious about what 
changes occurring on the academic side. Dr. Riza, you and I both know yeah. curriculum change starts and frankly ends with faculty. So during my time here, like these students, I was very active in advocating for a human diversity requirement, very similar to a social justice curriculum. And now I'm currently reading a book by Laura A. Roy, Teaching While White, Addressing the Intersections of Race and Immigration in the Classroom. The intro tells students, be comfortable feeling uncomfortable, and says the same about white teachers as she tackles topics such as white supremacy, privilege, and racism. So I'm wondering, from the student's point of view, have you seen or have you been seeing this type of dialogue in your classes at Southern? And I'm even more curious if it if you have, is it with your minority teachers from a minority group um, or marginalized group, uh, like a woman-like class, or are you seeing it in all of your classes? Okay. The listeners can't see your face, Jamil, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish they could. That was classic. <laughs> yes, I do agree that, you know, we see a lot of changes, like in residence life, because currently I'm a senior at North Campus. But when we're talking about the academic side, I don't think we're all there yet. We're just not. Um, I'd be a little happier when instead of INQ classes, you know, we have all these requirements like that. We add requirements on anti-racist work and things of that nature. But Tell the listeners what INQ means. Oh, INQ is your inquiry class. So when you think about inquiry and you're coming into a, you know, a four-year university, think about this is my college 101 class. You know, this is how you read a syllabus. This is how you should interact with your peers. You know, this is how um, consent works, things of that nature. You should learn in INQ. Mm -hmm. And then typically professors put their own little spin on it. So we have requirements like that that you're supposed to take in order to graduate with an SCSU degree. Now, we need requirements that say, well, this is the class about race and how this relates to your field. This is the class about how to be anti-racist in order to graduate since we have other requirements academically. Now, when we talk about the experience inside of a classroom, I think it's different for black bodies. That's just period. We go to a predominantly white institution. So I have been in classrooms where I'm the only black person, where I may be the only black male in the room, where I may be the only male in the room. There's a lot of times where I'm just only me. And mm -hmm. I have only had a black professor this semester is because I actively searched for them. So it's very hard. Yes. It's very hard oh to get goodness. black professors and black faculty in my major. It's just, you just won't see it. Actually, there's none of my major. You just won't see it. Um, so I had to take elective to find one because I wanted that experience. And again, your major is communications. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Love my major. Don't get me wrong. I think we have, we have Sarah Baker and Casey Counselor in the department uh -huh. who create very inclusive classrooms. Casey Counselor was the first professor to ever ask me as a black student, what do you need to feel comfortable in this space? The first professor ever wow. to ask me that question. So in the comm department, we do have gems, but we need diversity. And that's Absolutely. not only true in the comm department, it's true across the board. And so typically when you enter classrooms, I hear these stories from my friends, you know, a peer makes a racist comment, you know, makes a comment that's really just, just uncomfortable to hear, that's just not appropriate for a classroom setting or really any setting outside of that. Um, and a professor may not jump in and say something, may mm. not check that comment in the academic um, space. And so if I think about it through the lens of a white student, if I can say this comment so openly in an academic room, what's going to stop me from make, saying that same comment in the workplace, saying that in my academic papers? You know, how do we address those things? I don't think all professors are there, 
we have a group of very powerful professors Mm -hmm. who are anti-racist, who are pushing that work through their readings, who are pushing that work in their classrooms, creating inclusive spaces, using pronouns, X, Y, and Z. And then we have professors that are not engaged at all in this work. That's right. And it's about time they jump on the bandwagon and become engaged in this work because students are demanding that faculty create inclusive classrooms, not just for their white peers, but for their black students, for their Latinx students, for their trans students, for their non-binary students, for all of us. Because if we all are not safe and included in this space, can learning even happen? How can we learn from each other? Elijah, I know I see you're nodding. Again, they can't see that, but (laughs) so so same from your lens, what, what do you see? In, in the as far as the curriculum and you know some of the observations about you know how yeah. are professors ready or not ready to address some of these concerns within my major of sociology it's usually minority um, professors so it's a little different I guess for me but when I'm in my earlier years as, as a freshman and a sophomore you take all these prerequisites and stuff like that and you take all those earlier classes and in a lot of my classes like history classes or English classes where we have to, we probably should be speaking about this, you know, it's going to come up. We, I mean, we should speak about it in almost every one of our courses, but um, it comes up and it's short lived, you know, the professors are white and they don't want to speak about it maybe, or they don't want to stay too long on it or dwell on any issues that would be about any minority group, really. Wow. Um, so I just feel like we start these conversations, you know, everyone's talking, and we shut it down. And then it, we move on to talking about, I don't know, the names of different countries. You know, like, <laughs> it, we these are some topics that I just really, you the, we should be talking about. I want to talk about them. And because professors might feel uncomfortable with these conversations or where these conversations might go... They kind of just shut them down, but I don't know. We're all adults here. I would hope that we can have these conversations. It, you know, it's interesting because one of the conversations that I've had over and over again on different campuses um, is that, you know, I'm hearing you both say we're not doing enough to, to really address, and you know, racism, sexism in the classroom. Many of the faculty are not just ready to take that on. They just are not prepared. At the same time, I hear students more with a conservative lens that say, I do not feel comfortable in speaking my mind. Because if I do, I know that someone's going to say to me, you crossed, the, you, you, you took on, you, you took a turn that, that created more disrespect and more insensitivity. So what I'm hearing from more conservative students, uh, predominantly white, heterosexual, able students, are saying that they don't feel like they have the liberty in the same way to speak their mind because um, they're afraid to, to, to say something that would might create some harm in the classroom or outside of the classroom. So they try to be very PC about things. Is that your experience? This is what I've heard and, and experienced at other places. But in other words, the convert, the real conversation never happens because folk don't want to, to stir up the pot. Is that something you, you see as concerning on their end? I would argue back, at, back towards that whole concept. Um, you know, we can have political ideologies that are different, right? You know, someone can be a liberal, someone can be a conservative. And we can sit down and have an open conversation about economics, finance, race relation, things of that nature, and how those things should be addressed. 
But the issue is when it goes outside of political ideology, right? When it goes into actual racism. And I don't think times that people are aware that just because you're not speaking about race specifically, right? That's not the one thing you're saying. Things can be racially embedded. You know, I'm talking about dress codes, economics, things of that nature. The, the, your opinions and your comments can be actively racist without you being aware. So I would say if a person is so concerned that they cannot voice their true opinions because they're fearful of being judged for saying and holding that opinion, then I think they should reevaluate why do they hold that opinion. Is that opinion invalid? Is that opinion backed by science? You know, are there sources that are credible that can back those ideas and concepts up? Because... I know on my campus, we have genuine conversations, and I have genuine conversations with people that do not think like me, right? But there's a difference from being, you know, having that genuine conversation and then sitting in a room and attacking minorities. I think that's two separate things. Completely. Um, Yeah, and I don't necessarily um, think they're, like, somehow banned from campus and banned from speaking up. Let's not forget, this is a predominantly white, you know, heterosexual, able-bodied campus, (laughs) You know, they're at a campus where most people look like them, come from the same towns as them, potentially think like them, <laughs> even though we are a liberal arts university. So I don't really believe the notion of, well, I don't feel safe to speak out when everybody's probably looking and speaking like you are. If anything, I would say, you know, maybe minorities can uh, kind of claim that concept a little bit more. I remember, it's funny, I just was thinking, reflecting, I remember when being in the classroom and right when we get to the sweet spot of the discussion, when it's getting really good, that is when the professor shuts it down. And it's not because Mm. we're out of time, Mm. it's because they now feel uncomfortable. So I hope that they're listening to our podcast because... What I take away from this is I thought of of a saying, I know we've all heard it, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And it's ironic that listening to these students, and just in my own experience, it's the faculty, it's the teachers that are not ready, the students are ready. So I, I hope that they take away from this conversation that they need to get ready. Because, you know, one thing that you can't stop that's always happening is change. And so they need to be prepared. And this is, I always say, you know, the college campus is a microcosm of the real world. So if, just imagine, that's what's happening out there when you see these conversations and folks that really, they have questions and it's really thought-provoking stuff. You either have folks that aren't ready, so if it's an opposing view, they want to cancel it, this cancel culture, mm-hmm. um, which really, it, it's not beneficial to any of it. It's, it's not helping. Folks don't walk away learning anything. Um, it, it actually keeps us stagnant where we are. And as we know, for things to be clean, it has to continue to be moving, right? So um, as water, for example, for folks that are not following, where is Shante going with this? Um, <laughs> but yes, it's ever-changing. And so we have to be open to to dialogue. We can't shut things down. And even if someone has an opposing view, and it's a segue, it's coming when it comes to politics. So even if someone is on the opposite side or spectrum of you, I'd like to think that at the end of the day, we all have these fundamental values that we share. So it's okay to agree to disagree. So with that said, I am very curious of what's going on 
around the campus because whenever I visit, I kind of ride around first and just kind of get an idea of, of what's happening, read things. What's happening right now in terms of get out the vote efforts? Mm. Thank you. Please tell me yes. there's some robust stuff going on and you guys have registered, mm -hmm. I don't know, the large majority of the campus or they already are. I, I Well, first, I just wanted to, to speak on what you said before about okay. um, the professors and having dialogues. I honestly don't think they know how to facilitate a conversation like that. And I think that's hmm. the biggest issue is they don't know how to facilitate that. I find myself in the classroom being like, okay, guys, when you have something to say, can you just like raise your hand real quick? Instead of having people shouting back and forth, it's like you yes. just need to be, they need to be able to facilitate these conversations so that we can actually have these conversations. Indeed. So that's one of my big issues usually within um, talking about these things in class. But in sociology, my sociology classes, they usually know how to facilitate these conversations. So I've seen the difference between when a professor knows how to facilitate a conversation and when a professor doesn't because when a professor is facilitating the conversation we're here we have we have the trigger warnings we know exactly what's going to happen we know where we're going and we know where this is going to end we know our we know what we're doing basically and then when the other ones we're just yelling back and forth and that's where we can see what you were talking about with these students that are afraid to speak up because they're they think that they're um well their ideas are a little unpopular with, with us. Yes, yes. Um, so, so management often, of the classroom yeah. is key. You know how how you set tone. I mean, That's it's like kind of like teacher one hundred and one, Doctor Risa. Uh, though no, I mean, we've been there. Once you're a tenured professor, I would like to think that you know mm. how to do this. It's really unfortunate, and there's no requirement at that point for them to go back and get that training, even though students are changing. You know, how they conduct themselves and comport themselves on campus and in the classroom may be changing, how we have conversations. And something interesting that you said regarding social sciences. So I thought about that and I said, you know what, I could see where they would actually have more experience. And I don't want to go too far away because we want to get back to the get out the vote, Elijah. But when you said that, I thought, you know what, the hard sciences, healthcare. You know, right now, the pandemic, the, the, the disparities um, with various groups, marginalized groups that now, you know, we're on we're in the forefront of these discussions because now something that's always been there, I wouldn't call it dormant, but to society it has been. And now it's being talked about. So it should be able to be talked about in those science courses, biology, chemistry, health. And like you said, they may not be equipped with um you know, the necessary skills to really have those really thought-provoking conversations, but they should. So in a nursing class, I would expect mm -hmm. that those professors know how to facilitate a conversation about health disparities and without feeling uncomfortable. And if they are, they just have to get out of their own way and out of the student's way because it should be a, a universal um uh, educational environment, meaning we're not just going to talk about, you know, numbers and charts and things. We, we're going to talk about holistically how this affects society in the healthcare profession. And to your both your points, they're not ready. Mm, yeah, no, for real. I was just uh, I was thinking about that. I'm like, why? I have a lot of friends that are in nursing major, and I'm thinking, so why aren't they aware of 
how bad black women are being treated in hospitals. Mm. Why don't they know about that? Why aren't they being taught that? And where they should be being taught that I'm being taught that in sociology. Why aren't the nurses being taught that? Like we, I don't understand that. That just doesn't make sense to me. We need to include this, this topic in our upcoming podcast discussion about healthcare because it is important. It's vital. And we know on a local front and, and on a national scale, this is an issue. And I, I, I'm so glad to hear that students are thinking about this. But again, we need the faculty to be on board. And I need my university to require faculty to have these conversations as well. We can't put all the blame on faculty here, right? We need administration to have a clear front on what they expect faculty to do and also give them the resources to do this work. Right. It's lovely to tell somebody, do this work, educate these students on X, Y, and Z topics in this amount of time with this many class schedules. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. not forget, you know, professors do work and they work hard. You know, they have X many students and this many classes to teach. So I would love to also see administration have their full support um, around these topics, especially well, around getting them trained on how to have these conversations. And I would hope faculty are open to that training and that support. It sounds like, you know, you guys are in full support of your faculty, and I think they would like to hear that. So we'll, we'll definitely continue this conversation during our healthcare discussion, and we'll incorporate, you know, STEM in that, some of, you know, the hard sciences. But again, like I said, I don't want to get too far away from mm-hmm. the topic at hand. I mean, it's, it's really yes. so timely. Get out the vote, the students here on campus. What do you guys have planned over the next week or so? All right. I believe from today we have six days till the election comes. Well, six, seven days. So um, as an extension of the Black Lives Matter march that you see me and Cam and uh, Elijah and a few other students really came together and rallied against. Um, now we're doing the get out and rope. So we're doing that today at around 3.30, um, 3.30 p.m. on the Bewley patio. And we will be standing out and speaking out about why is it important to vote, you know, voting discrimination, voting suppression, talking about student activism, talking about the power in your voice. You know, I watched this campus from my quarantine room, um, you know, on Instagram Live. I watched this campus sit down and say black lives matter, trans lives matter, you know, black disabled lives matter, X, Y, and Z. So after we have said these statements, mm-hmm. You know, after we said Black Lives Matter, now it's time to vote like Black Lives Matter. And so it's about educating our campus about, you know, how do you vote? And not just vote for presidential elections, which is lovely and beautiful. What does your vote mean for your everyday life and your local elections for mayor, governor, board of education, the DA, the judge, the prosecutor? You know, what does it mean on campus? Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. For SGA. You know, why aren't we voting for S? If there's students watching, please figure <laughs> out who is on SGA and vote for SGA. They control your student funds. Yes, <laughs> even back in my day, absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because local elections matter. They really impact your day-to-day. And here on a college campus, that would mean your elections here on campus. Yes. So SGA, for those that I can't imagine anyone listening doesn't know what that stands Student for. Student Government Association. Absolutely. I used to be a rep at large <laughs> back in the day. And don't also vote for RHA. Vote for the organizations you're a part of. You know, RHA is our residence. Basically, the SGA version of Residence Life. Residence Life. Okay. Yeah. During my day was IRC, Inter-Residence Council. Yeah, it's like yeah. Res Life something. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. 
So, Elijah, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot this question to you before we wrap. What are you doing to sustain activism around campus? And then, Jamil, I'm sure you're going to want to chime in, uh, but I want to give Elijah a chance. Yeah. Um, so this year, this past year, I've been really trying to get involved and make and get involved in groups and make groups that will allow for more activism, like DPE, where we're, our goal is to educate um, our peers on diversity, educate them on these issues, and in educating them, usually you you get the problem, and now you want to know how to solve it. And that's what I think um, I'm going to start trying to do with DPE is make sure they know what's next after, okay, like you know, you know, racism bad. Do not do it. What are you doing? Don't, microaggressions, these are not okay. Now, what are you going to do with that information? You know, what's mm -hmm. after that? So that's gotcha. what I'm going to try to push within DPE. And then now we have AFI, Athletes Fighting Injustice, um, where we're, all, we're another group trying to push for education in these issues. And we're going to try and kind of push that within there too. Because we've heard from the Black at Southern page that there were issues with the sports um, the sports teams and issues of racism on the sports teams. And we're trying to push for a better overall um, campus by helping the athletes. Gotcha. So hope, hopefully that can sustain more activism within the school because we're educating everyone on these issues. So that's what I'm trying to do to sustain activism with, on, with campus. And I'm, I want to do more. I mean, I'm always here sitting. I'm ready to listen. I want to hear what we can do i mean i'm sure jamil can help me out <laughs> yeah so for me over my time at southern i've always answered the call to activism because i'm first generation i'm gay i'm lower income you know i'm black my mother's puerto rican so i'm puerto rican so in order to be in this space i had to stand and claim this space right um, and I am finally yep. at a point where I have spoke out so much and I have done so much on campus that I have a true voice, that people listen to my voice, that students listen to me. And so I don't take that lightly. So when I speak, I try to speak very informedly and I try to bring value to the conversation. And so for me, as I'm wrapping up my time here and now moving eventually into alumni status for SESU, when I think about sustaining some of the things that I would love my universities to start doing and seeing prospering here. It's about planting the seeds. So talking with younger students about activism, about ways they can get involved, about resources they didn't know about, about mentors on this campus that has helped my life, right? Faculty and accomplices I have had on campus. So planting those seeds across different pathways. And here at Southern, we typically do work, good work, but in silos. You know, I do this work over here across campus. You do it there. Maybe the same topic, the same issue. And so for me, having worked in so many departments, I have the privilege of knowing what is happening behind closed doors. And so when I try to think about sustaining activism, I try to link groups and people together that I think will do well to sustain this change once I leave. I also think about, you know, speaking out publicly about my demands for the university, the things that I want to see from my university, things that I expect as a paying student of my university to be doing. So I think that goes a long way with sustaining change and also to never not be active. I may graduate soon, 
but that don't mean I'm disappearing. <laughs> you know, as we see, we have a strong and powerful <laughs> alumni member right here who has never left. Thank you. No, never. Never. There's something about this campus. It really is. It is a wonderful place. And despite that, of course, there always could be change that mm -hmm. occurs. So I just want to say that you both have been very valuable to today's conversation. I thank you for joining us. And I appreciate you taking the time because I know that you both as students are very busy. And I'm confident that with you as student leaders, we will continue to make change occur here at Southern. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you.